podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm half Saudi and a lesbo. Mm, bi, trans, and Lebanese. So, however, <laughs> since, <laughs> you sounded so much better. Than however, since we're since this has come up, we're not actually in Saudi Arabia or Lebanon. We are in America. We are, yeah, we have been asked that. We are far. We have a healthy distance. Yes, a health, so. a healthy away from ministries of certain types. Okay. Moving on. Man, it's just been a few seconds and stuff is already real complicated. It's getting really real already. That's just how being Arab is. Yes. So the third voice you hear is our good friend, Miriam Hakim. Hi, Miriam. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Can you introduce yourselves? (laughs) Hi, I am Miriam Hakim. I sing in a band called Giant Kitty. I am also getting my PhD in math because I guess... Having one dream that is ridiculous was not enough. So I have to do multiple things that are extremely hard, extremely hard to get jobs in, and extremely dominated by men. So, hooray, that's me. breaking through some good shit, though. Uh, Am I? I I don't know. I think you are. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, yeah. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah. We're, oh, okay. yes. We're, okay. We're, 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 okay. we're marked as explicit, so you can say whatever the fuck you we want. We have that nice, hardcore little okay. parental advisory on okay. that thing. So, what a, Might pollute the children with your lesbo yeah, shit. exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, <laughs> we're that evil Western influence they're always going on about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also, I really enjoy that both of us are like half Arab, and then the other I half know. is origins in Oklahoma. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Miriam and I are half <coughs> Oklahoman, basically, and half Arab. <laughs> so the only full Arab in this room is Ellie. So now we have exactly two Arabs yes. in the room. Yes, and one white person somewhere. But we're yeah, in one full But white we're person. we're in America. One drop rule. Come on. Yeah, exactly. But we're also white passing, and there's lots of complicated stuff here. Hello. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we acknowledge that. Intersectionality is a thing. Yeah, that can definitely Never. be an entire episode eventually. <laughs> About like our white privilege and how we can use it, but certain ways we cannot use it. And you know, it's not an ironclad privilege either. Some because some, whenever somebody's particularly mad at you, they will they will call you out. I always describe myself as like quantum white because it's sort of a superposition of white and not white, and yeah. it depends on who's observing me and what the yes. situation is. That so is sounded like a very math way to see. I guess, I yeah. Like I don't know. It just struck me as that. That was cool. I'm going to start steal. I'm going to yeah. steal that. Stealth Arab. So, yeah. Also, describe myself as that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you were in Giant Kitty. Tell the listeners what kind of music you guys do. Hello, listeners. We are a punk band. We play angry feminist punk music. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're not super punk. We're kind of all over the place. We- I, would, I would describe you more as like folk punk. Maybe. I don't know. We do all sorts of stuff. We have like some rockabilly song on our new album. I mean, it's just, we just sort of write songs and whatever comes out, comes out. But um, they are amazing. Check them out. Miriam has this really strong, powerful voice. And my lisp isn't as strong when I'm singing. So don't worry. I don't notice. (laughs) You have a lisp. Yes. 
Well, I got now, called out for now it. Now we're all going to think about it. <laughs> well, now I can't unhear Gillette. Yeah. <laughs> you, so, you in. so we, we yeah. played South by Southwest uh, last month, and I went to this singing workshop, and the first thing the person who was leading it said when she was working with me was, oh, you have a lisp. And it was Whoa. just like, what do you even say to that? Like, okay. Okay. Great. Sorry. It's one of those things yeah. you got to go. It's just, you stare, yeah. Like stare in the eye, stare in the eyes, establish dominance, never break it, and say, yes, I do. <laughs> I think you mean, yes, I do. Um, ah, <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. Well, so. <laughs> okay, actually, let's start out with the noun game. So pick three random nouns. Any random. Uh, let's go with chickpeas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Damn it, you stole one of mine. <laughs> Just naming things in the room. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I do. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> Does Tommy Wiseau, Tommy Wiseau count as a noun? Yes. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. Absolutely. And rainbow unicorns. Okay, do you want to ask the first question about chickpeas? <laughs> ask a question based on those nouns. Like, form a question. Okay, what For is Ellie? your favorite way of eating chickpeas? Well, if I don't say hummus, it's just going to sound like I'm trying to avoid saying hummus. Yeah, but so, hummus just means chickpeas, so you're really not saying anything. Like, you know. I'm sorry. What I, mean. <laughs> I know. I'm just being a pedantic shit, okay? Uh, no, actually, um, actually, I do love the roasted and salted chickpeas just because when I went to my grandma's house when I was very young, and this was a very happy memory for me, she would always have like a bowl of like, you know, mixed nuts, and the roasted and salted chickpeas were always my favorite. So oh. that is. Do you have like the the section plastic tub? No, no, all, just just it all together. Yeah, like out, okay, oh. so out here, one, one of the Middle Eastern nuts being imported, like these tin, these blue and green tins with like various mixed nuts. Okay. Everyone buys them. We, Miriam just nodded knowing. Well, we would always have we it's would have thing. like it's a thing a, a big plastic separated container. Arabs and their nuts because I mean, we are nuts. Great. Ha, ha, ha. I'm we sorry. Are nuts. I, I would say I'm gonna stop, but I'm not gonna stop. Never stop. <laughs> No, no, okay. So, okay. We're not we're not a serious podcast. Well, we try not to be a serious podcast because the subjects we deal with are too serious. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. pretty heavy. We were talking about this before we started recording. Like, like, there's no way not to be heavy on the podcast. So we're just like, even if we say we're gonna keep it chill, keep it light, it's gonna be intense. No, keep it honest. If yeah, people can't handle it. That's their business. Don't listen to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well said. And we're not the white mainstream media, so we don't have to keep that air of FCC polite. True. Yes. That's a nice thing. It's liberating. Yeah. Okay, so it's supposed us. to be so, question oh. on chickpeas. Oh, yeah. I'll ask Tommy Wiseau. Do you want Tommy Wiseau on our podcast? No, never. If we do Tommy Wiseau on this podcast ever at any point for any reason, <laughs> I will nuke the server myself. <laughs> Damn. Those are That's strong words. Oh, my God. Okay. There's too much Tommy Wiseau in our life as Tommy Wiseau, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry. I'm a fan of yours. You don't need to apologize for that. You just need to keep him away from me. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Alia! <laughs> oh, I did not! <laughs> I don't know what I did not You're oh, not God. bringing him on the show. <laughs> Wait, did you say Rainbow Unicorns is your third one? Yes. What's your favorite My Little Pony? <laughs> mm. Oh, this is one of the tough one. I'm gonna go with Rarity. Okay. Because she is fabulous, <laughs> and so am I. She is snobby, and so am I. <laughs> and she likes to make things, and I like to make foods. Oh, so you Makes identify sense. with her. Yes. You. The snobby one. Yeah. As opposed to, as opposed to you the own old, it. 
Yeah. As opposed to the, to the overtly gay Rainbow Dash. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. That, That's know. the obvious answer. Yeah, exactly. I like that you went with Rarity. Yeah, you didn't choose the one that, I guess, the cliche, the flamingly the cliche gay one. one for most of us. Also, now we're all outed as at some point having been a brony. Because I definitely had a short brony I'm period in college. Bro. Yes. <laughs> we all did. Yeah, short <laughs> secret brony past. We've seen our giant kitty brony. You've now gained nope. a new fandom following. No. Yes. It's an intersection of My Little Pony fans and now punk fans. And then they're all going to... I'm posting this Check to the My Little Pony subreddit. No. <laughs> why? why do you make these threats? Because they're fun. I just like rainbows and friendship, okay? Me too. There's nothing wrong with All right. I'm just... <laughs> okay, Miriam picks three nouns. Musicals, rock climbing, and brunch, I guess. Nice. Have you ever sung in a musical? Yes. Ooh, which one? So I was in a musical called Sideshow in college, and this is actually very relevant to this podcast because my official role was harem girl. Yeah. So it was a musical about sideshows in like 20s, 30s, whatever, and um, as exactly as sort of, it was like intentionally in poor taste. Yeah. Because sideshows were. And at the time, I thought, well, this is self-aware enough. It's mm-hmm. fine. And some things make me a little uncomfortable. Now, when I look back on it, I don't think I would do it again. Yeah. Um, so it was a wonderful experience. And I, you know, I really enjoyed being in it. But it was interesting because there was, like, this main harem girl role. Mm-hmm. And then my role was, like, an ensemble member. And I did a few different things. But I knew how to belly dance and she didn't. Oh, so wow. they wanted me to teach her how to belly dance. But I was too fat and didn't mm-hmm. look right for a belly dancer. And finally, after, at least my understanding, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, uh, after long enough in rehearsal, they realized she would not, that they they wanted someone with more experience belly dancing also dancing. So Mm -hmm. they had me as a harem girl too, instead of just teaching her. But uh, the whole thing was, that's a little strange and some people and some people were like correcting me on certain stuff and they're like well this doesn't seem like a good belly dance move why don't you try no. this one and just i i don't yeah. know it was it was weird so they asked for your expertise then they you know throw their ignorance at you a couple of them yeah and also so the thing is i'm an alto yeah and there's this there's this saying i heard floating around in theater that the only roles for altos are witches bitches and whores um, the fuck? and it, in my experience, it was kind of accurate. Like mm-hmm. it was always evil roles or matronly roles mm-hmm. or like, I, I just got tired of it. And so I, you know, I did theater for a long time, yeah. but I think I got to the point where I didn't want to spend that much time and that much energy on something that I always felt like there would be a wall because of my body mm-hmm. type and because of my voice. And I think be playing a harem girl and spending you know 20 30 hours a week in this bit part that made me feel like i was orientalizing myself and other people were orient- doing it to you <laughs> yeah but i mean for anybody who is involved in that who's listening to this i don't want them to feel like mm-hmm. you know it was a bad experience or i blame them it was right it's just it's just culture. how it is yeah 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 it's just it's just how it is and um you know, as important as theater was to me, I'm really glad I decided to stick with the music part instead of yeah. trying to continue doing something that just ultimately, after a while, just started to make me feel bad about myself. 
Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of other things I do that make me feel bad about myself. I don't need theater too. (laughs) So next week we're rebranding as Brony Era Podcast. (laughs) Yes. We need to rebrand. No. No. Hey, My Little Ponies franchise, whoever you are, can you sponsor us? (laughs) We're totally into what's that season eight thing already. We're good. We want your money. (laughs) <laughs> Man, yeah. I haven't watched that show in so long. Oh my god. Okay, so... So, yeah. Uh, what was the next story? You said... Rock climbing. Rock, rock climbing. climbing? Okay. Do you want to ask a question about rock climbing? No, I, no. Okay, this is... I have a bad <laughs> do question. It, do it, do it. Oh god. If it's bad, I'll make fun of you. Do it. Yeah. Ellie's <laughs> 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 like... Yeah. Welcome to the episode with Miriam on it. It's mostly giggling. <laughs> Get used to it. Yeah. Um, if you could rock climb anyone's abs, whose abs would they be? <laughs> Jason Momoa. I have no idea who that is. Let's pull up a Aquaman. Picture. Aquaman? From, oh. yeah. Ooh. Cal Drogo. Oh. Yeah. Elliot Prince. Jason Momoa. Yeah. I love how... I didn't even have to think about it. Like, just Jason Momoa, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go with that. That's- yeah, that was very just instant. Yeah. That was instant. And, <laughs> and brunch, uh, I don't know. What's your, what is your ideal brunch? What does your ideal brunch look like? Not brunch food, because I don't really like brunch food. Mm-hmm. Um, Steaks and mimosas? Mm, I guess today I had Cuban food. Probably yeah. my ideal brunch is either Shiv Sagar or um, Blue Nile. Yeah. Yeah. That reverend silence again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Ellie approves of my opinions. Yes. For some of them. <laughs> All right. I want to skip myself for now because, like, I want to get to uh, get to stuff. So... Miriam, as a musician, what are some of your favorite bands or solo musicians with members who are part of the MENA, Middle East, North Africa community? Well, um, there's this band, they, I don't think they're playing together anymore, but they're called Bidet. Um, Their lead singer is Lebanese, and she's another organizer of Yellow Punk, and they're incredible. Um... Let's see. Omar Fendom. I love Omar Fendom. Uh, Hello Psychalepo are also great. Um, cool. Actually, probably one of my favorite MENA bands right now is Al Sada and the Nubatones, but um, they're from Sudan, or actually, I mean, they're from Brooklyn, but yeah. they're Sudani. And I think Sudan, they're Arabic speaking, but yeah. I don't know. There's some Sudani people who identify as Middle Eastern and some who don't, and yeah. it's complicated so i'm not gonna label them you yeah. know but um as far as arabic speaking yeah Sada and the nubatones are, are definitely one That's of my so favorite cool. groups you mentioned yellow punk uh, what is that so yellow punk is basically like a middle eastern north african uh south by southwest that's in philadelphia uh-huh. uh last year was the first year that we did it it's um started by this amazing dj musician from philadelphia named rana um, she goes by DJ Rana Ransom, and um, we met. I I think we met when my band went on tour 
last year. I don't even, like, nice. honestly, we have, like, a, what is essentially a punk family group chat that we talk, like, every day now and have been I doing this it. for so long, I don't remember not knowing her. Yeah. So I can't remember so how cool. we met. That's so cool. But, um, so she started this thing. Is her mm-hmm. and Lila from Bidet and mm-hmm. Layla, another punk person um, that she just does a bunch of really awesome different stuff. And uh, last year I organized the panels because we have like a panel workshop component. And unfortunately that was right when Hurricane Harvey hit. So actually my flight got canceled and I didn't end up getting to make it, but um, got to at least, you know, prepare materials and help out through Skype. And we got to hang out that weekend. We did. We were all I wasn't stranded. sure if you wanted to mention yeah, but we all were stranded in Houston yeah. that weekend. We yeah. were all supposed to travel that weekend and we all just like, nope, nope. we're here. Yep. Let's hang out. And we got to st- spend a week inside. Yep. Yeah. So we're doing it again this year. Um, yellow Punk, not spinning. Yellow Punk. Yeah. Not well, hopefully there's not another Harvey. Hurricane Harvey this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If so, we may need to take it, schedule it outside of hurricane season. Yeah. Oh, dang. So yeah, Miriam yellow has punk. a yellow punk shirt on. It's awesome. Yes, we should take a picture of that for that post. Yeah, it's great. Really awesome. So okay. so yeah, picture picture of her shirt and maybe her if she wants. Sure. Up to you. Up to you. Okay, shirt it is. Shirt I'm in sweatpants. Be... I've been climbing this morning. Okay. Blah. Just the shirt then. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can you? Uh, what led you to join Giant Kitty? Huh. Well. So I had done music for a really long time. I started playing guitar when I was 11 or 12, and I've been singing for a lot of my life. And back home, because I'm from uh, Dallas area originally, I used to do like coffee shop kind of stuff. I didn't perform a lot because my family wasn't really comfortable with that. But I'd write songs in my room, like acoustic guitar kind of stuff. And I always really liked rock music, but I was homeschooled and I didn't really have anybody to play with. It's really hard to, Mm -hmm. when you're kind of sheltered and your social circle is very small and you're not allowed to hang out with people that often, it's very hard to start a band. Mm -hmm. And so really the only time I could play rock music with other people was when I was finishing undergrad and I was like 21. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a lot of experience out, but a lot in my house. And when I moved to Houston for grad school, I thought the music part of my life is done. You know, I missed my opportunity. Like I would go to karaoke nights every week at this one bar, Mongoose versus Cobra. I used to have a uh, vintage karaoke. So I think you weren't allowed to sing anything newer than 25 years old, which is right up my alley. And so I would go on Monday nights and just like sing my heart out as like just something, some sort of performance yeah. fix. And, um, Anyway, I went to a couple shows in town and sort of became aware of this this band, Giant Kitty. I didn't really think too much about it, but one day me and my boyfriend were walking downtown some night and I heard like Riot Girl music coming out of this bar, Natsuo. And I started freaking out, like, I love this kind of music. I didn't know anyone was still playing this. Like, this is awesome. We have to go in. We go in. And it's fronted by this girl who I'd met at a show like months ago, Whoa. who I had really hit it off with. It was like, oh, hey, it's that girl, and this band is playing this music that I love. And so um, I started following them, maybe went to a couple of their shows, and they parted ways with their previous lead singer, um, and they posted a notice saying they were looking for a new one. And I was in my office, 
I really wanted to try out, but I thought like, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that they would choose me. And my desk mate at the time insisted that I should just do it. And he was like, you don't have anything to lose. Just try, it'll be fine. God. So I asked my thesis advisor if it was okay. No. I asked this girl who I had met, like, is it okay if I audition for this band that you're no longer a part of? And she gave me the go ahead. And now it's been almost three years. Oh my God, I'm so grateful for your desk mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's Miriam's he's desk awesome. mate, if you hear this, I'm grateful for you. We're all grateful for, to you. I'm yeah. grateful for you, Jake, because... for so many reasons. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> Seriously, Me, uh, Ellie and I have been to several Giant Kitty shows now, and yeah, yeah, can't get enough. Um, Y'all are so sweet. Seriously, but I like. Well, I can't get enough of your podcast. So, well, yeah, look at us being fans of each other. We're fans of each other. Great, I'm, I'm a part of another incestuous community. God damn it. Yep. So, uh, so what draws you to punk? Like, what are the elements you like about it? The music I've always been drawn to is music that is honest and music that it's clear that the person who's producing it is feeling something. You can tell what they're feeling and it makes you feel something. And so like my background, you know, I played a lot of jazz guitar. I was in jazz band in undergrad. I really like punk. I really love blues music. Actually, I went through a really intense Led Zeppelin phase when I was maybe 12 or 13. I picked up this this issue of Guitar World that had Joe Perry from Aerosmith and um, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin on the front, and they were talking about their influences. And so me being a little fangirl, I picked it up. And it had, like all of their influences were people like Sunhouse, Muddy Waters, Big Mama Thornton, people I'd never heard of before. Mm -hmm. So little 12-year-old suburban me, I mean, I guess sort of sub urban, urban suburb, I guess, uh, you know, just went looking for this music and it really touched something in me. Also, I think I had a huge crush on a boy at the time who was really into, <laughs> really into jazz. And for some reason I was like, oh, blues, same thing. I'll impress him by listening to this. Uh, may or may not have gotten a lot of my music taste as an early teenager by people I had crushes on who I was trying to like hey. be more like. Pretty natural. <laughs> That's pretty natural. Yeah. Yeah, who would have who would have known that the fact that I got crushes on people so often that were so <laughs> intense was related to the fact that I had undiagnosed OCD that whole time? Oh wow! Yeah, nice. <laughs> That's fun. It's like That's an interesting correlation. Yeah, because at like, the time it was just yeah. like, oh, I'm just in love with this person, and then I meet another person, and I'm like, oh, I'm in love with this person, and I'm totally yeah. obsessed with them, and now I'm like, oh, those were intrusive thoughts. Great. <laughs> like oh me just God, thinking just about like, this person, you know, yeah. each person I got a crush on, I would think about them all the time and like when I, you know, yeah. listen to what they listen to and like talk to them all the time. And now I can look back and realize that it was just intrusive God. thoughts and it was my OCD sort of making things Whoa, weird for I'm me. I'm never going to forget that correlation. Cause I don't know if it's that's correlated for everybody, but for me, like no, I can it recognize makes so much sense for me too. Like the same feeling that I have now where it yeah. takes me an extra 10 minutes to leave my apartment because I don't yeah. believe the door is locked. Like uh -huh. I can recognize like, oh, that's the same feeling I had when I would have a crush on someone when I was 13 yeah. and they wouldn't text me back. Whoa, <laughs> mind blown, seriously, seriously. Look at this, bronies, mental illness, queer shit. I know. This podcast is great, yeah. <laughs> I know. We tend to hit awesome. Ah, ah, ah. But anyway, so yeah. sorry, back to your actual question and not whatever the hell I just 
answered. Punk music yeah. is so like raw power and raw emotion. Yeah. You know, and the way I was raised, women, I mean, not just women, but like, you know, children in the family, mm-hmm. you must be completely obedient. You must be completely silent for women. You know, I, I honestly thought that like feminism was morally wrong. That's mm-hmm. how I was raised. And um, women being loud, women being powerful, women being mm-hmm. ugly, those were all bad things. And so mm-hmm. when I first heard Bikini Kill, really I, I listened to La Tigra first. Oh, um, nice. And I heard these women being loud and their music being ugly and them talking about these things that were so taboo in my house it made me feel powerful and like it was okay to be Mm -hmm. this weird loud awkward person that I already was but I thought there was something wrong with so I think it it really touched me like that and now as an adult maybe I don't need punk music Mm -hmm. anymore it's already made me the person that I am but I you know, one, it gives me an outlet on stage, like playing that type of music. And two, I know that there are other people in the situation I was mm-hmm. who, who listen to our band yeah. and who need that. And yeah. I've had, I've had younger women come up to me and tell me the same things that I used to say about Bikini Kill wow. and Latigra and Slater Kinney. And to me, like that, that just totally means the world to me. Yeah. By the way, you didn't see this, but my face totally lit up when she said a Bikini Kill. Yeah. Cute. It was yeah. very cute. So, yeah, I had that. And I also had the same experience of, not the OCD level, but basically people I had crushes on, I got into the music, which is why I have such a great love of metal right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Adorable. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. I mean, even though, like even these crushes we had growing up, we got something out of it. Well, I used to do this thing where um, anybody... It was usually someone I was interested in romantically, but often it was just friends. Like, I would ask them to make me a mix CD that they thought described themselves, and I would make them a mix CD that I thought described myself. So, like, on my old computer and in my little, you know, CD wallet circa, you know, 2002 or whatever, I have all these mix CDs that sort of embody people who who were important to me or people I had crushes on and things like that. And then I also have the ones that I made for them. So I can watch the iteration of my own self-conception through music. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, I haven't done this in a long time, but... Yeah. Music is so powerful in, like, the associations we have with with, with it. Yeah. Like, it brings... I don't know, at least for me, if I hear a certain piece of music and sometimes memories I didn't even re- realize I had will flood back. It's very yeah. powerful. I always felt music was the language of emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really that's really how I feel. I mean, to me, yeah. the most important music, or the most, yeah, the most important music is like music that communicates something. And to mm-hmm. me, what it communicates is emotion and it communicates it in a way that other mediums cannot. Yeah. <sighs> so. so cool. So let's tie, let's tie this all together. Uh, <laughs> music and maths. You know, what's, what's the connection here? Well, I mean, I guess I've never done music that was particularly technical. I know some music mm-hmm. theory. I did some jazz guitar, but ultimately 
you know, my theory knowledge isn't great and I never played any sort of classical instrument with any sort of uh, competency. So I know there are other people who do music and math. That's the connection is this very analytic mm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, I don't super want to go into it on the podcast, but I've experienced a lot of abuse and, and trauma in my life. And I spent a lot of time being told that I was wrong about stuff or stupid. And I felt like I never really understood what was going on. And the thing is with math, you can always keep asking why. And there's always an answer. Either the answer is, you know, we can't figure that out yet, mm -hmm. but you can eventually. Or the answer is we have chosen to take this as an axiom, you know, and everything that follows from it is just what happens to follow from the set of assumptions. But eventually, you know, you can keep asking why and there's some sort of satisfactory answer. Even if the answer is, you know, like with computability theory, maybe the answer is we can never know, mm -hmm. you know, or all these sorts of paradoxes, mm -hmm. like maybe that's bizarre. But I really liked that with math, I never had to just accept and obey things. When mm -hmm. for in the rest of my life, there was always somebody else telling me what the truth was. Wow. And I always yeah. doubted my ability to yeah. tell what the truth was. And in math... You can't really I don't have argue. to. Yeah, with math, no one can argue. Yeah, or they can, but there's some sort of framework that you can agree yeah. on. Right. You know, and there Makes can be sense. some things that are demoralizing about math, because the thing is, with math, you know, I mean, I, I'm doing research, and part of it is, if you don't feel like you have no idea what's going on, then you're working on something too easy, right? Mm -hmm. In some sense, you're always feeling like you don't understand <laughs> anything, yeah. but... In some sense, it's like really freeing, yeah. you know, and it's because like, okay, I accept, I accept that it's always going to like that I'm growing. Yeah. And it's that's why just, I like research and not just yeah. teaching, right? Because teaching is cool, but you're doing like the same mm -hmm. math over and over again. And the problems you're doing is how can I get them to learn it better as opposed to oh. this is something that nobody knows and yeah. I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. if this is true or not, or is there some sort of technique I can develop to do this? Yeah. And I feel like with music, there's a similar search for like truth and how do I communicate truth? How do I find truth in yeah. myself and the world around me? Yeah. And so for me, that's the connection between math yeah. and music is both of them is me trying awesome. to find something that is true. Yeah. So oh, you advance by being in over your head. Yes. I'm always over my head. Yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. That means, that means, you know, we never want to stop learning. Yeah, and, and, it, and it does mean that important. you never feel competent. Yeah, I know. But... Trust me, I get it. That's how I feel every day. But it, it also means it's weirder interacting with people who, because there's, there's some people who have a really hard time being wrong. Yeah. You know, like it stresses them out. They can't mm -hmm. deal with it at all. And I don't like being wrong. But ultimately, if I'm wrong, I like knowing yeah. so that I can change and understand yeah. more. And it's funny being a mathematician and being surrounded by people who are always like opinionated but ready to be wrong and ready for you to prove it to them because then they yeah. get to learn something. And then going out into the world where people aren't challenging themselves mm -hmm. constantly and don't feel stupid all the They're time. Stubborn. You know? It's it's weird. Yeah. It's it's sometimes a culture shock. Yeah, there's a certain type of stubbornness that is this mentality is like I have nothing else to 
nothing else to learn and I find it hard to be around people like that because yeah. I mean conversations are just like hitting a brick wall yeah mm -hmm. uh, for as many for problems me. as academia has that's yeah. one thing that I really love is this environment where everybody wants to know more and is ready to challenge what they already know yeah provided you have the you know the basis and some sort of mm -hmm. something reasonable yeah so as we said you and i are both half arab so has, that sounds scary i know <laughs> beware the half arabs so has, what are we even i know <laughs> has being half syrian like influenced your style in music at all yeah definitely um especially since i mean i was homeschooled until college and i we moved in with my grandmother, my dad's mom, when I was 10 or 11, I think. And so even though I was raised in the U.S. and my mom is American, I was raised in some sense with more Arab values and Arab mm -hmm. culture than American. And actually, mm -hmm. it was really frustrating. It was really frustrating growing up because I always felt like, like, I think I mentioned to you, you know, I would have friends in the homeschool community because back then it was very conservative Christian that um, when they found out that my family was Muslim would tell me that they didn't want to be friends with me because they wanted their friends to be in heaven with them when they died and I was going to hell because I was a Muslim. Yeah. You know, or I had family members on my mom's side who sort of never seemed to get over that my mom married an Arab and, you know, would just make comments all the time to me about it. I mean, yeah. even now, like... You know, most people don't know I'm Arab unless I tell them and then I hang out with the white side of my family and they'll make all these comments about like me being dark mm -hmm. and just like, oh God, is I'm your white. life that white that I'm sticking out like a sore thumb to you? Oh God. <laughs> you I'm know, really, things this is hitting home a little hard. So Okies. Um, no, I love my family. <laughs> I really yeah. do. Uh, I have certain relatives like that. But too. they find mayonnaise spicy. Something like that. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, the, the older I get, I think the more... It's definitely changed. I've gotten older and I've gotten more secure in myself. But it's weird because in some sense it feels like when I went to college, I suddenly became white. Mm -hmm. Because before that, I was raised in a house with Arab values my parents even told me that they homeschooled me to protect me from the influence of the American kids at school, mm -hmm. you know? And then suddenly I go to college and everybody's like, oh, you don't look Arab, you don't look Muslim. And I'm like, what? Like this yeah. thing that was such a huge part of my life and my identity and honestly, yeah. something that bothered me now was suddenly being denied, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that sort of just constant confusion and this constant... Mm -hmm outsider status yeah it i think it's definitely it's definitely affected me musically because in some sense like so i've get i've gotten a lot of people tell me how how much it inspires them to see me be so publicly non-conforming mm -hmm. and it seems like i don't really care what anybody thinks but it's really because I spent so long like trying to be conforming and it never worked. Yeah. You know, I was always fat. I was always like, you know, I hit puberty when I was like eight. I was always, you know, even the homeschool community and 
I don't look super Arab there. I was extremely Arab to them. So you were like always too dark or too light. Or um, just, you know, it, too, and I don't, yeah. don't want to continue, you know, yeah. this tragic half-breed narrative because I feel like it's really cliche, but there's... No, it's... It's a, a lot that I've experienced that, you know, I spent so long yeah. just wanting to feel normal and it never worked. And yep. so now as an adult, when it's maybe easier for me to be normal or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm so used to being non-conforming. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is my body. Like, this is my life. This is who I am. This is my brain. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'm almost 30 mm-hmm. now and there's some things that just aren't going to change. Yeah. So... I think that really affects it. Also, just the music I listen to. So growing mm. up, it's pretty much just Arabic music and country music in our yeah. house. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so we listen to like Um Kulsum and Feirouz. So that's yeah. the stuff that I grew up with. And definitely uh-huh. having this sensibility that Arabic music feels natural to me. That music with mm. more of a beat yeah. feels more natural to me i think affects it certainly affects how i like dance on stage yeah um and just the music that i'm drawn to i think it's also that yeah so um you know being a fellow half arab i i totally related to everything you said and uh what are i guess what are some of the uh good things that you've encountered due to your mixed heritage how has that enhanced your life well, I think now, now what it means is that I can use my privilege to stand up for people from my community who can't pass as well as me, mm-hmm. you know, because I have a choice if yeah. I want to let on that I'm Arab or if I let want to let on that I'm Muslim and Arab and Muslim are obviously different, but they, in our culture in the United States, they're, people think of them as yep. the same. Right. Yeah. Um, and for me, I am I am both, even though there's lots of people who I'm sure think I'm a terrible Muslim, but it's between me and God. It's exactly. not their business. Exactly. Um, Thank you. Yeah. But the point is that because I am so much more privileged in those senses, I can use that to try to make it easier for other people. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it works and I've had way more of an experience of people seeing me as an exception or people saying things like I'm not really Arab or I'm not Mm -hmm. really Muslim that like because I'm a good one or they get along with me that Mm -hmm. I don't count you know instead of instead of me making it easier I'm just Mm -hmm. you're the token I'm the token or I become their their excuse that suddenly now they can say whatever they want about Arabs or whatever they want mm-hmm. about Muslims because it's okay, I have an Arab or Muslim friend. Yeah. By the way, that's that excuse does not work, anyone. Please don't use it. Yeah, don't, don't ever it. use that. No. Um, yeah, Ellie and I feel similarly. We've talked about this too, where it's like we're in a good position to do this podcast, for example. We have enough privilege where... You're in the U.S. We're safe. Yeah. So being Arab-American for us, it, it puts us in that situation where like... We recognize that a lot of Arabs couldn't do something like this. Yeah. No, like and even so, Arabs uh, in America. Like, yeah. but because we are well off enough, we have the education enough, and our families are relatively sane enough. We, yeah. We can do this. And honestly, I mean, you and I, Ellie, also could, if we didn't want people to know we're Arab, it's very easy to not 
to not have people know that about us. Like we, yeah. some people, we have some that people privilege. guess, and that's yeah. that's always a scary thing, and that is definitely something I've experienced of like yeah, people finding out after the fact and mm-hmm. then being weird or horrible. So, like I yeah. went to a wedding. Um, I went to a wedding where I was cornered by somebody who had heard that I was Syrian and he was just like harassing me for a long time, like yeah. physically wouldn't like back me into a corner and was like talking to me about Syria and wow. um, how like Arabs, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it was like yeah. something about how like Arabs couldn't help being violent and that we would never get oh. out of this situation, like mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of stuff. And um, so that's also one of the reasons why I, I try to, as soon as I meet a new person, usually comes up that I'm Arab or Muslim because mm-hmm. I've had just so many bad experiences of someone finding out yeah, after the fact yeah. and treating me badly. So if someone's going to treat me badly because of my background or my religion, I would rather know immediately. Right off the bat. <laughs> Before you get invested. Before yeah. I get invested. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, uh, same for me. Even though we do have the privilege where we could deny it, mm-hmm. if necessary, at least for me, I, I usually get it out of the way. Um, like, I do the same thing as with my trans. Like, I do the same thing with my trans status because, mm-hmm. well, like for most interactions I could, if I want to like invest any time like into relationship building, I tell them because, you know, for some people, that's a pretty, pretty big deal breaker. Yeah. And yeah. it could get weird. Just get out ahead of it so yep. you don't have to deal with it. We're all too old to have to, like, yeah. hold our tongue on that shit. Exactly. <laughs> we don't have, time, we don't have no. time for people who just who won't accept us. And, so. we, and we, we're not going to work on it. We're not going to work for either. We don't, ha- we don't want to. We don't have to. You know, we don't have to do this whole token Arab education thing for everyone or token trans education thing. Cause, yeah. yeah, you know, you don't know anything to anyone. Yeah. Um, and for those people, it's like, well, why don't you just explain it to me? It's like, why don't you just look it up? Yeah. yeah. It's not a responsibility. Right. Like you will offer that if you feel like it. And then, but people saying like, well, why don't, why don't you put in the work to educate me? I'm like, you know, that's different. Like, if you hadn't offered it up, like, why why are they criticizing you for what you didn't say or didn't do for them? Yeah, and there's, I think there's definitely a balance. Because, again, like what we were talking about earlier with, you know, we do have privilege, even as yeah. Arab people. Yeah. Um, so I know that for me, it's a lot easier to help educate somebody who is ignorant but well-meaning or maybe well-meaning, I don't know. Um, it's a lot easier for me emotionally yeah. than somebody who has to deal with it more. True. You know, I mean, even yeah. even the difference between... So I wear hijab sometimes, like, if I'm going to a mosque, mm-hmm. I wear hijab. I thought about taking it on whenever I was a teenager, and mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if I would have gone through it with it anyway. Um, but it was something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, and I also used to teach SAT prep at, like, this private Muslim school for a little bit, and even though I didn't have to wear hijab to teach there, I felt weird going to a school where it was part of the girls' mm-hmm. uniform, and I wasn't wearing it, so I wore it. And even just the difference between how people treated me, wearing hijab mm-hmm. and not wearing hijab, just these visible markers of that, you know, it, it's yeah. like night and day. And so, for me, as exhausting as it is, there's lots of people who I love who don't have that option yeah. to say, no, I'm not going to educate you. I'll go educate yourself. So if I have the energy, I'll do it. Yeah. Me too. Right. 
that's the key if you have that energy yeah. if it's in you if you are emotionally able to like if you yeah. are available emotionally at that moment but that's your choice and yeah well you. and also being visible about it too makes other people feel like like what you guys mm-hmm. i mean y'all have said this mm-hmm. about your podcast that even just you being out there existing yeah. means something to a lot of people or maybe don't have yeah. um, don't have those outlets. I think I remember your first mm-hmm. episode when you mm-hmm. talked about all these queer Arab places only being in secret and you have to already know somebody to get into them in the first yeah. place. And so yeah. just having something and having someone just be out there yeah. right. it's, as white passing as we are, like right. <laughs> it still means something. Yeah. And like it, we need. We've, we're basically a generation that was waiting for leadership on this, waiting for some someone to do it, and no one stepped up because anyone who had attained, I figure, anyone who had attained success, ah, anyone who had attained success as an out Arab or out queer or out queer is they didn't really want to screw it up by mixing the two because queer and Arab. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. it's hard because you get. I mean, it's hard to find full acceptance as a queer Arab in the queer community or in the Arab community. So a lot of people compartmentalize those two things, those two aspects of themselves. And in Uh, Miriam's case, you know, the whole half Arab, half white thing. mm -hmm. It's like if you want to be out Arab, you know, you're you're going to alienate some of the white people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I used to Mm -hmm. because I felt like I had been treated so differently from my background, I was honestly like afraid of white people and I was afraid of Christians until I was an adult because I just had, uh, because the communities that I ran in, specifically homeschool communities, were just so weird, you know, that Mm -hmm. it was honestly shocking to me when I would meet somebody who was white or meet somebody who was Christian, like specific, or white and Christian, who didn't treat me like crap because of my background. You know, and so I think because of that, I kind of rebelled against it. So, like, if I heard myself speak with a Texan accent at all or say the word y'all, like, I tried to purge y'all from my vocabulary. I tried to purge, you know, dropping the G's from my vocabulary, things like that, that, like, I was born in the United States. I lived in Texas my whole life. I... Yeah. I am just as Texan as I am Arab. You know, I am a Texan Arab. I am a Texan Muslim. And mm-hmm. I fought back so hard against that white half. And now I think I've reached sort of an acceptance that all of these things are true mm-hmm. about me being being an angry feminist yeah. and being in a punk band doesn't make me less Syrian. You know, being Muslim doesn't make me any less Texan. My barbecue opinions are still legitimate, damn it. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, I grew up in Dallas and I would, you know, eat kefta and then we'd eat Brahms ice cream for dinner. Okay, that's who the fuck I am. Yes. And and like one aspect doesn't doesn't negate another aspect of you. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of having so many elements of our identity and coming to that realization they're not mutually exclusive they're not musically exclusive the only difference is some are marginalized and some aren't yeah Yeah. um and that complicates things but maybe we should call this podcast dealing with white people 
dealing with your inner white person too. Because <laughs> that's okay, you and me. Up. Yeah, how about we put dealing with white people, parentheses, or your- Including yourself. Including your inner white person. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if <laughs> I want to call- that. Like, I, Call it that. Okay, well, we'll think of something else. <laughs> so, so yeah, like as, um, I don't know, uh, I guess like outside of the MENA community, do you feel like people are paying attention, enough attention to Middle East issues? Hell no. Yeah. Hell no. And I think, well, not even enough attention. I think they're paying the wrong attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everybody who's not invested in any, like personally invested in any sort of specific thing that's happening has like their pet thing that they care about. And then they're really opinionated about that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know it's honestly I don't think I could address this any better than Shiam did on your podcast before because I think it really is there's so many different things going on in the Middle East they're all different players they all have different reasons yeah. and different results mm-hmm. and one thing I found is that some people who know a little bit about one thing will paint everything with that brush and right. it sometimes makes it harder. Yeah. You know, so these things these things are very complicated and um Yeah. I did it like can be what, overwhelming. I liked what Shiam said where it's like people need to calm down, chill out, and be willing to ask questions of others who know more about a certain subject and not try to act like they have the knowledge. Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing that I wish is that there, I talk to so many Americans who think that the problem is sectarianism and that every conflict in the Middle East is because we're just this sectarian tribal people and Sunni and Shia have always hated each other, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If you talk to anybody who's like over 40 from the Middle East, is Sunni and Shia, I mean, I'm again, I'm an American. I'm showing my ignorance. My family in Syria, mm-hmm. you know historically my family is a powerful family Mm -hmm. and so even back in syria my family had a privilege that most syrians did not have yeah and in the united states yes we had the immigrant experience i did not grow up with a lot of money Mm -hmm. but i recognize that this history is different you know um right anyway so i guess the point is when you talk to older people at least when i talk to older people They'll all say it didn't used to be like this, that the sectarian conflict is really a result of this Western kind of enforcing balkanization and saying, okay, if people stick with their own kind, then there will be peace. But that, one, your own kind doesn't exist. And two, even if it did, you can't stop people from fucking each other. And so you can't (laughs) keep people apart because there's always going to be mixed kids that are going to fuck everything up if you try to keep people apart. So... It's just ridiculous. And this idea that so many Americans like blame these conflicts on that as opposed to blaming it on these larger issues, this history of colonialism where there's not really good examples of countries that have gained independence after hundreds of years of not having any control of their resources and not had problems, yeah. you know, and it's kind of a, a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the enforced sectarianism that we see also kind of exacerbates the whole problem caused by the Sykes-Picot borderlines, because this doesn't re- it doesn't reflect the political power it holds that yeah. these sects and tribes have. 
you throw them all together and you know you try to say and you have to have a democracy or you know a representative democracy nowadays and you know they can't get anything done because none of them agree because the country that they're in doesn't represent the real world um togetherness that they have and it's just really complicated yeah because you have like this sort of enforced sectarianism at one side and then also in the middle of you know the 20th century you had all this like pan-arabism mm-hmm. thought and and you know like you'd have countries that i mean it got syria and egypt were one country for a while and they're not even connected right and sure i mean they're I'm not saying that was good or bad. Like, I'm not educated enough yeah. to say that. But my point is that, like, on the one side, you have this intense sectarianism that was enforced on people who never felt it before. And then on the other yeah. hand, you have this painting everything with a broad brush that all Arabs are the same when uh-huh. that's not true. Right. So it's just all very complicated. But the thing is, you know, I think there's a tendency when things are very complicated and you have to learn a lot to have an opinion on it that people just give up. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that there's like still things that you can do even if you don't understand everything. And maybe coming back to this idea that like it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to be ignorant, but you have to be able to incorporate new information into your worldview and change. Yeah. Try to be better people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's okay to admit something we don't know. Yeah. Or if something's too complicated but we want to make it less complicated for ourselves by learning. Yes. I mean, we had to do a lot of learning just to deal with our complicated ass identities. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's been a lifetime, li- lifelong project in a way. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast was to sort of figure out how my identity actually works on the sort of Arab side. I've, you know, spent so long dealing with the gender shit and, you know, sort of integrating into the whole American thing as a child of immigrants that... I'm like, wait, I've got this whole Arab thing I did not really address well. Yeah, and I don't know if it feels like this for you, but for a long time for me, it felt like the Arab part of me was just like this package that I had to accept everything or like it was, torn, you know, away from oh, me, uh-huh. right? Like, you know, all these sorts of things like back when I was in Dallas, like, you know, I'd have guy friends. I mean, I've always gotten along really well with guys. Also, mm-hmm. I mean, I got a degree in math. Like math is... Like, if you're taking upper-level math classes, Mm -hmm. most of your friends are going to be men. There's nothing you can do about it. It It's overwhelmingly men. And, you know, there'd be places I wanted to take them that I couldn't because I didn't want everybody in town, in our community, saying, oh, did you see Miriam at this grocery store with this boy? Like, you know, things, things like that. Or, like... You know, so so that that whole package of stuff and this whole that whole package of being acceptable in that way seemed yeah. like something that didn't totally fit me. Mm-hmm. And I had this black or white kind of all or nothing mindset that I had to either totally reject it. I don't know. Yeah. It, anyway, the point is that like meeting y'all, meeting. You know, the people through Yellow Punk and, and as an adult having these friends who have similar sort of yeah. experiences I do has really made me more able to accept that there are good things, there are bad things, and I don't have to... Yeah. In, in some sense, I felt like, again, because my, my mom is not Arab... 
sometimes it felt like I got all the bad parts of being Arab and not the good parts. Mm -hmm. I got like the misogyny. Well, I'm not saying, sorry, I'm not trying to say that all Arabs are misogynists. Like there's, right. It's complicated. Yeah. And patriarchy looks different in different places and for different families even. But, you know, some of the, some of the cultural pressures that I feel like are more negative I was raised with. Right. But I wasn't raised speaking Arabic. I wasn't raised around a lot of my family. Like, we were sort of very small. My parents didn't talk to a lot of our family. And we just really spent a lot of time, like, in our house. Yeah. You know, so some of the things that that seemed, like, more positive I didn't get to experience. And so I felt like I had to throw out all of it. And now, with things like this, I realize there are ways. I mean, I'll never stop being Arab. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Right? Even if I never tell anyone again, even if I start pronouncing hummus is hummus and <laughs> like hummus. stop Let's complaining and stop complaining about shitty falafel, like I could do all that. <laughs> but yeah. I can't ever escape it. Nope. And so I got to find a way. Yeah. To like, like both embrace yeah. it, but embrace it, but question. Yeah. We need to question. Meeting you and like other others with our mindsets, <laughs> like it's been a total game changer for me. I mean, it's yeah, that's one of the coolest things I I've experienced being in Houston so far is finding a community of yeah. progressive Arabs. I I just hadn't been exposed to a community like that before. Um, well, we're kind of just making it up and building it as we go along. I mean. This yeah. and those are social circles, you know. We're mm-hmm. we, we're literally making shit up as we go along. Yeah, because Arabs like yeah. we're really good at building communities, but the communities that we all grew up in are the communities where like everybody's parents. talking shit about each other, right? and everybody's just like you know your parents' friends come up late and they're keeping up until like two in the morning and they're smoking argile and they're just like <laughs> talking shit and drinking coffee uh-huh. and then you know you're like in your room trying to go to sleep and then you get a little older and then like someone finds you kissing a boy and then calls everybody in your family to say like oh Maria was kissing a boy like all this <laughs> bullshit you know like that's <laughs> you know that's the fucking community that we build yeah right and it doesn't have to be <laughs> so we need to build we need to change this narrative like we need to and we have we have hope. I feel like we have hope yeah. with this generation. It doesn't always have to like, be communities that look like that. And then somehow yeah. every single kid going against that away from their community. Yeah. Like, yeah. God, I knew this guy in undergrad. that He was always, like, drinking and, like, sleeping with all these girls. And it was, like, I, I don't have a problem with that. But he's such a self-righteous little shit oh. about me. And me just, like, being out after 7 p.m., you know, like, oh, how dare you that you are so dis- dishonorable. Yeah. And now, like, he married yep. a nice hijabi girl who was, like, 10 years younger than him mm-hmm. and, like, posts all these pictures on Facebook of their, like, nice little, you know, ha- yeah. halal marriage. And it's like, you know what? Back to the point of, like, we, we're we Arabs are good at building communities. Maybe we're not good at yeah. building communities where we all accept each other and aren't judgmental mm-hmm. little shitheads. Right. But <laughs> Maybe. I think we've been doing okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least with, among us. Like. Yeah, I mean, you know, all, to all the old communities, yeah, we're being judgmental shitheads to you. To you, yeah. yeah no, I you. was just thinking Yeah, exactly. 
We, we love you too. However, we love you too. We do. Enough with the double standards, and please don't disown us for going out at night. But you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna tear that down. We just want to do something more like you know, where like all the kids who don't fit into sort of like a strict little you know mm-hmm. checklist of requirements and don't have a place to go other than say you know just well guess I'm white now. Yeah. Yeah. That's this idea. Right. Like, if you want any of these things, that you're becoming, like, too Americanized. Like, like, even last year when Ellie and I wanted to start this queer group at an Arab center here in town, and they, they were like, the community's not ready. And then you're like, well, okay, we're so here. are we not part of the community then? Yeah. Yeah, it's we're like, here. It's like, I guess we'll just go be white now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's as if they expected us to just walk away from the Arab community because we weren't part of it because they're saying the community isn't ready. So apparently we didn't count. And it's like, no, we're fine. We're going to form the community that we feel accepted in, but also where we can like not have to deny our Arabness. The funny thing is, this is a very American kind of thing to have happen, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're True. back in our family's home countries, if you do that kind of stuff, I mean, maybe for very nationalistic people, they'll say, mm-hmm. oh, you're being too Western. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in some sense, there's, you don't have to prove yourself, you know? And I guess I've talked to some people here True. who think that, you know, talking about Arab stuff or wanting Arab community is like this weird insecure thing and mm-hmm. you should just be yourself and not like worry mm-hmm. about it. But I feel like there's something to be said for like being around people who like there's some things that people who haven't experienced this just can never understand. Yeah. You know, and it feels nice to be around people that you don't have to explain yourself that you can just True. be. Yeah. You know, and in, the, in a way that's the opposite of insecurity. It's more, yeah. embracing something of, about yourself so on it's the flip side like coming into like, your apartment and you apologizing for ellie forcing all the food on me it's just like <laughs> you're like this eat, is eat. Not- you're too thin <laughs> miriam's like this is nothing new yeah it's just what you do ellie just kept being like well we have this we have this and miriam's like i'm really full my white friends trained me out of this behavior. I still remember one time, got my room, I had just moved away from my parents' house, but I still lived like 15 minutes away from them. And this was like halfway through college because I was only allowed to apply to the local school and live at home, all this crap. But anyway, so my roommate had this guy come over. I knew him from high school or the high school thing that I did. I didn't like him, but whatever. He's my guest or he's in my house. Yeah. So I cut up some fruit. And I was like, hey, would you like some, would you like some fruit? Yeah. And he's kind of dismissive, but he's like, yeah. And I handed him, and he looks at me and he's like, thanks, mom. And he eats his fruit well, in my fucking house. Okay, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and he still eats it, right? Yeah, he still eats and it. And he probably liked and it. And that kind of attitude, or like, I got, people knew that I cooked, and then yeah. people would just like come to my apartment and know that if they walked into my apartment, I would yeah. feed them. Yeah. You know, but it wasn't, and so all this kind of behavior, oh. like, trained me out of yeah. that. Ellie, I'm sorry I'm in front of you. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Because it is, like, it, I don't... So I don't, coming in, yeah, as much I as wanna... I don't want to eat anything and I'm full, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Feels like home. This yeah. is... <laughs> yeah. But you well, will Ellie, always... Ellie will always help fill the aggressive politeness, <laughs> aggressive generosity thing. <laughs> With tabule, I can't eat. That. I'm kind of good at that, but you are another level. You are, yeah, you just got to learn. We'll teach you. Yes. I only have half my life worth of being exposed to Yeah, that means you will teach you. 
I had the kind of grandmother, and she was amazing. Yeah. And she and like no matter like how much like how what I weighed, she would always be like, "Edie, you're too thin." So I will always tell you, "You're too thin." Yeah. I guess my grandmother was is always like that. She always tells me I have a very nice body. The rest of my family did not, but. It's that evil Western influence talking with them. Yeah, like I love the I love the Saudi families I'm close to, or family members I'm close to. But some of them have like every time we see each other, they're like, the first thing is like, oh, you gained weight, or oh, you lost weight. It's always about my body, and then it's like, yep. Oh, and then the food thing happens. It's like, oh, you don't like it if I stop eating. You're like, okay, you just told me I gained weight. Yeah. Yeah. And here, have a second serving. Yeah. And, uh, no, it's weird. So I am like 205 right now. At the beginning of the year, I was 220. Mm -hmm. I don't feel any bigger now than they made me feel when I was 130. (laughs) Like, that's... Yeah. Huh. I'm realizing that... Kind of unrelated, but there's all this... Yeah. There's so much stuff. There's so much Mm -hmm. Arab stuff. And it's nice when there's podcasts like this and friends like you that, you know... Instead of just talking about the negative parts of our culture, we can enjoy yeah, we can the positive the part. Little yeah, things, the little things like the idiot the, <laughs> that we we've been exposed to over and over. And it's like okay, you get it, but we can laugh about it. We can make yeah. fun of it at the same time. Or overly emoting. Yes, that's one that. Oh my god. The, so much, the hand gestures. Why? Why are so Americans like kissing. so repressed? So much kissing. I know, so much. But kissing. they don't make hand gestures. <laughs> they don't. If I'm like yeah. loud or something, or I'm like emote, like of something that I'm feeling, mm-hmm. there's like this response of like, "Oh, you're just like too yeah. much," or yeah. "Why do you feel this so much?" It's like, I'm not. You just yeah. don't for some reason. I've yeah. been told I'm too and much and too expressive. This is one of those moments where I'm very sad. We're not like doing a video series because <laughs> Alia is. Like mildly emoting, I am emoting at her right now with my hands, like pointing at her with the jazz hands. And Miriam is just like giving us a master class with her we're, hands. We're all kind of flailing at different points. Oh man, I was talking to one of my friends who's also Syrian the other day. Like both of her parents are Syrian, and you know this hand gesture, like when you're making yes. a point. We're doing we're doing the yeah, thing no, where you're like so you're making a point. Or my yes. my grandmother, my grandmother, she'll always do this when she wants you to wait. She'll be like that. Yeah, one minute. Yeah, where you like close your fingers together, yeah. pointing them up like a little butthole at the tips. like a butthole. <laughs> Making your fingers a little butthole. Yeah. No, uh, I'm sorry, Teta. She's not gonna listen to this. And she maybe won't know what I'm saying. What if she does? Oh God. Okay. I'm hi. sorry, Teta. In the one in oh. one million chance that you hear this, I'm sorry. Teta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think. But anyway, so so she and I were talking. And I looked down and I realized that all four of our hands were making the same gesture <laughs> while we were talking to each other. Like we were talking and it was uh, both of us were like this. Yeah. And I looked down and I'm like, oh my god. Oh, and to anyone not <laughs> anyone like not in the culture who is hearing this, you also have to start with your hand a little bit raised and then pull it down. Yeah, you have to pull it. And you have to keep doing that. <laughs> repeat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my boyfriend has also told me like when I get really angry I start speaking with a little bit of a nervous accent oh and I start God. gesturing more I want to see this <laughs> please don't intentionally make me angry so no, you can we see won't, this we won't drive you to that point but <laughs> we happen to witness it you know. we'll feel privileged we'll feel... Ugh. 
I mean, I'll be... We must document this. We're getting to see this. That is one of the weird things that seems to be pretty common to other Arabs is like, Mm -hmm. we emote a lot, but we're also really private somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, God forbid you air any family dirty laundry or admit that anything's bad or anybody looks bad. But then we also overly emote and are very loud. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, yeah, when I, I, I kind of got that with, when I was coming out, when they were like, well, yeah, it's okay that you're bi trans, just don't tell anyone ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, they're, yeah. they're, they're gonna know. It, I was pretty obvious back then. I was just like, not with, with the whole trans thing. It's just like, it's gonna be obvious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's always the thing with my Arab side when they're like, oh, you, like the person you met, Ellie. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. She accepts us as a, as a couple and all that. But her main thing is like, don't tell this person. Don't tell this yeah. person. Yeah. Which I know she's saying it for safety reasons for us, but also for like the reputation thing, probably. Yeah. Information is very dangerous. It is. <sighs> Even just recording this is scary. Like I really wrestled a lot with... Um, what you would talk about. I wrestle a lot with what I would talk about if I was even okay with being on it. Like, honestly, it was really yeah. scary for me doing this and knowing who is going to hear it. Yeah. You know, but I'm happy that y'all are doing this, and I think it's important, and I love you both, and so... We love you, mm-hmm. too. And, yeah, that was courageous of you, and we appreciate that you were on. Really. Yeah. It meant a lot to us. Malish, this harder thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> For I am just throwing in Arabic shit because it makes Ellie giggle. Like, uh. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know Malish, it's like, whatever. Ellie's face just lit up. I loved it. Her face just lit up with a sense of, oh my god, I'm, at, I'm home. <laughs> I think that's part, a lot of the, one of the things I feel like is missing. It's like, because I am bi-trans and Middle Eastern, I don't have, because I'm Middle Eastern and partially because of the queer stuff, I'm not going to be like ever find a home in mainstream white America. Like it's not going to happen. But neither can I ever go to Lebanon because, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's lots of queer people there, but they're all closeted. Yeah. Not all, but you have, they have to know how to navigate it safely. Yeah. Yeah. And just you entering the country. I know you're nervous. If, If I were to go, I'm... I want to go, but I'm also super, I would be super nervous about it. even though my documentation would be in order, marked female, and all that good stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it could get ugly, and always a, always and if we get held up for a bribe, you know, I'm going to be panicking. It's like, do they just want a bribe, or are they are are they like you know going to call some vigilante assholes? It's frustrating, and now that we're sort of like doing this little thing here with the queer Arabs and making all these friends who are these non-conforming Arab people who rebel against the shitty parts and question it and then sort of like embrace the rest of it, like the good shit, you know, it's, you know, maybe I'm like, maybe we finally have a home here. And at least for me, it makes me feel so much more connected to the Arab stuff. Yeah, Doing, doing this and knowing people like you, you guys. Aww. Like, Aww. It makes me feel a lot more connected than like, you know, hanging out with a big group of Saudis. <laughs> so. You know, I think, I think, 
the moral of all of this that we have to yeah. remember is that friendship is magic. It is. You are drinking Ellie's day again. Arab shit, brony shit, queer shit. It's great. That's the best way to wrap this up. It all came back together. They're going to love us on Tumblr. And this episode was brought to you by bronies. And Tumblr. Tumblr. Tumblr and us. So, how can people find your band? Like, social media? We're on everything. Um, nice. Yeah, Giant Kitty on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter, we're Giant Kitty Band. You can find us on Spotify, on Tidal, and soon to be Pandora. Ooh, fancy. We have been accepted. So, Pandora curates their content very heavily, and so our new album has been accepted for Pandora, but yes. they need to um, incorporate it into the Music Genome Project. So now we're just waiting to hear back whenever that's okay. that's done. But iTunes, Google Play, all sorts of Yay. any major streaming. Thing. Wait, you're on iTunes now? We've been on iTunes. Oh, so you're the competition. What? To yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a podcast. Us. What? It's different. It's us or Giant Kitty. Wonder- <laughs> it's Ellie's, different. Ellie just why? <laughs> so, what's a good intro? If someone's never heard your music, what would you think would be a good intro song? A good intro song to Giant Kitty. Um, I would actually say if you've never heard us before, you should probably watch our videos. Mm hmm. I actually agree. I with feel that. like that's a good introduction to what our music sounds like, and that we have this sort of weird sense of humor. Yeah. Like I don't know, we're very political, and we're a very diverse band, but we're also extremely goofy. And yeah. I think our videos sort of. Yeah, actually, the first song I heard of yours was the stupid stuff, uh-huh. and I watched the video. Yeah. And that actually that was that was a good intro to the band. Because you learn a lot about. I mean, not. Not just from the lyrics, you learn about their kind of their their mission and like what the band members believe and want to get across. Yeah, so our latest album, we have these two new videos, At Two Whitey and You Suck. Um, and I think those are good introductions to yeah what we've been doing. Oh, You Suck, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, love the, I love that. And uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes also. You can find us both on Sound iTunes. I'm less excited. Why don't you, Alia? Yeah, no, but it's like you can find both Giant Kitty and us You on can find their podcast on iTunes and the podcast app, and it's wonderful. Exactly. You should look for it. Yeah. You should be very excited and we are that you not get to competition. Hear more of them. So, yeah, you can <laughs> you compliment each other. <laughs> exactly. Ellie. God. And then there's. <laughs> no, there's only room for one Arab thing. <laughs> so, yeah, you can. No find- more than one Arab thing. <laughs> Yeah, you can find us at the Queer Arabs on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com with any feedback or like, hey, I want you to talk about this or whatever. You can also send us a voice clip of yourself talking about any topic you want that you think people need to know about, and we'll play a clip, the clip, most likely. Probably. Also, fun fact, the rest of my band is not Arab, and please don't tokenize us as an Arab band. Oh, or yeah. an identity politics band because it happens. Mm. We're just people. We write from our perspectives. Our perspectives are just not cis, straight, white dudes. Imagine that. Imagine. Is it legal to play like a clip of Giant Kitty song on this? I don't know. 
Um, you're totally fine with on our new album mm. playing anything from our new album. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's a outro to this. Okay. Mm. Okay. Outro. As long as none of the three of us will get in trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Outro. Were you surprised? Did you feel let down? The truth is sinking in. What will you do now? Uh, Miriam had this awesome idea. So we each made a playlist on Spotify. One is called the Miriam Mix. We have the Ellie Mix and the Alia Mix. And we all chose songs that are important to us in some way. So we're going to post the links to these Spotify playlists on the website. And yeah, check them out.